Welcome to the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast, the show where brilliant professionals share how to sharpen the universal skills required to flourish at work. Enjoy more career fun, wins, meaning, and money with your host, Pete Mikaitis. Hello, and thanks so much for joining us here for episode 350 with Jake Now, I think you'll love this conversation with Jake in which you'll learn one, a fresh definition for what makes a day successful, two, why and how to set the highlight of your day before it starts, and three, approaches to clear out distractions for laser focus. You'll find the show notes over at awesomeatyourjob.com slash ep350. And here's Jake's story. Jake spent 10 years at Google and Google Ventures, where he created the design sprint. And he has since coached teams like Slack, Uber, 23andMe, Lego, and the New York Times on the method. Previously, Jake helped build products like Gmail, Google Hangouts, and Microsoft Encarta. He's currently among the world's tallest designers. So thanks to Jake for hanging out with us. And thanks to our sponsors. Check them out. Now, here is Jake. Jake, thanks so much for joining us here on the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast. Pete, thank you so much for having me. Really excited about it. Well, I'm excited to have you as well. And I want to start where perhaps many of your interviews have started. Your lack of a spleen. Tell us the whole story <laughs> behind this. <laughs> yeah, I don't have a spleen. I lost it while playing basketball. Not like it fell out or anything, but, um, but you know, I was in high school and playing basketball. I took a really weird hard fall where I actually sort of got caught up with my legs caught up on somebody's shoulder and like fell down really hard. And uh, I lived, I grew up on this remote island, not super remote, but like you have to get there by ferry boat up in Washington state. And so in order to, to get sort of medical care, you have to be helicoptered off the island if it's an emergency. So they did that. By the time they got me to the hospital, I had almost bled to death internally. So um, I had about as it turns out, they you know they just had to sort of cut me open, see what was going on, uh, and they had to take the spleen out because there wasn't time to to fix it. So I have no spleen, and that's the that's the backstory. Well, that that is wild, and yeah, well, it sounds like you play basketball hearts. <laughs> so maybe that is a good thing for people to learn about. They're like, this guy's a badass. <laughs> You're right. Yeah. Your latest book, it's called Make Time. What's sort of the big idea behind this one? Well, to to try to tie it into the spleen, I oh, guess. Please do. I, that was a, that was, yeah, we'll see if we can. You know, that was a that was a near death experience for me at the the tender age of I guess I was sixteen at the time. And I suppose that a lot of the idea in make time is it's about making good use of time. It's about the idea that we have limited time in our in our days and in our years and in our lives, and every day matters. And I think a lot of times it's easy for the important things to get pushed off to someday. Important work projects, important people in our lives, important hobbies or things that we hope to do or, or dig into or invest in. And this is a book of sort of practical techniques for making time every day for whatever's important and making attention for it so that you can really pay attention and enjoy every day. Well, that's cool. That sounds super worthwhile. Well, so I'd like to maybe get a picture in terms of, of the difference this uh, research and material and insight has made for, for you or your co-author or some readers. Could you hear it? Give us maybe a little before, after, or, or transformation story, case study of kind of what it's doing for folks? Yeah, it's probably best to tell my story, my experience with it. And I'm a designer by trade, a software designer. That's what I have done for um, about 20 years in my life. I was building products. I worked at Microsoft. I, I worked on something called Microsoft Encarta, which most people probably don't oh, remember. Oh, do you remember that? Okay. Yeah, the encyclopedia okay. yeah. on CD-ROMs? Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yes, that brings yes. me back. Yeah. I mean, that was great, except that like it was great the first couple of years I worked there. In the early 2000s when I was there, it was kind of when Wikipedia was just taking off. And so it was also, you know, I learned a lot of lessons. I learned a lot of lessons about the business of, of software. Uh, just about 15 years ago, I was really like, gosh, I really every day is important. I need to make the most of it. Uh, but I think that the this cr crucial moment and something I described in the book that happened in, this was around 2012, where I'm, I'm like with my two sons, and one of them is like a baby at this point, and the and the other one's like maybe eight years old, and I'm I'm like you know kind of playing with them in the in the living room and in the evening, and and you know it's a, it's this great like moment, right? It's like this great family moment, and I'm and I'm like I'm on my iPhone, like I'm I'm like I'm on my iPhone, I'm looking, and I don't even know what I'm doing, like I'm like you know I'm just like like unconsciously like pulling it out and like looking at my email or, or like, you know, looking at, at Facebook or whatever. And my, my older son was like, 
oh, like, dad, what, what are you looking at on your phone? You know, just like, you know, not, not like trying to call me out. Just, Excuse you. Know, you. Just, yeah, you know, just like, oh, just like he was curious. Like, uh-huh. it must be something interesting if you're, you know, if you're not going to be like playing trains with us here. And I was like, oh, man, I don't even have an answer for that. I don't know why I'm looking at my phone. I have no, I have no, I have no good answer. And, and I just, for, I mean, you know, that kind of thing has happened to me a, a number of times, but at that, that one, finally, it was just like something kind of clicked where I was like, man, I am, I have been working for many years to try to figure out how to be as effective and efficient as I can at work as productive as possible. And yet here I am like, rushing to like process as many emails as possible and go through as many meetings and get as much done as I can so that I can be home early and spend time with my kids. And yet, like, I'm not even like mentally present, you know, I'm just kind of checked out. And at that moment I was like, you know what, I'm screw this. I'm like, I deleted Facebook and Instagram and Twitter and YouTube. And I shut, there's a way to turn Safari off on your iPhone. And I figured out how to do that. I'm just like, kind of like in a, in like, it's kind of craze. And I even like <laughs> deleted Gmail. And I was like, work, I worked with the Gmail team at that time. I was like, I get, I can't even handle this. I just took everything off of the phone. And, and the weird thing was that that was, that actually ended up feeling amazing. Like, I kept the phone, like the phone had still a lot of great you stuff on it. You could make calls, you could you give could and receive calls. text messages. <laughs> right. But you know, you got maps, you got like Uber and like, you know, this has got a great camera. Like they're actually still, even a smartphone, if you take away all that stuff, there's still a lot of great things it can do. And so that is kind of like this, this moment where at that shift, I was all of a sudden, I was like, wait a second, I have just been accepting whatever kind of came at me from new products that came out or the expectations that work. I've just been kind of saying like, yeah, I'll, I'll meet those. Or like I'll do those or they're all good. And I started to realize that the default settings were, were not necessarily beneficial for me and taking on everything was, was not necessarily good. And this is kind of an obvious realization, but for me, what happened from there till now was that I started to kind of question the way my days were spent, the way my time was spent, my co-author and colleague at the time, uh, John Zaratsky and I were working on this process at work where we were helping teams in one week. We did this thing called a design sprint where we would totally structure the whole week and have the team focusing on one project for the whole week. And we were optimizing how they spent their time. And we started to just do the same optimizations with our own time. And so for me, it went from like, I had this long time dream of writing a book, but I had never even written so much as kind of like a blog post. And all of a sudden, as I started to make these shifts, uh, the the kind of using the tactics from the book, I, I started to create time and space to write. Basically, by shutting down other things, saying no to other things, redesigning my my calendar, and uh, and so it's kind of changed my life. I mean, since then, I've written three books, and uh, one of which is you know kind of not published yet, but just coming out, and then and, and another one which is just finished. And so uh, it's it it feels more whole. It feels more like the way I want to spend my time. That's cool. That's cool. And so could you say it feels more whole? Could you give us maybe a little bit more of a picture if you could paint in terms of the before and the after? How does it feel? Because I, I think some folks might need an extra push or oomph of motivation. Yeah, and if totally. thinking, There's yeah. no way I could do that. Yeah. Yeah. And actually, I guess that's the, that's kind of the, I I would, I would have said the same thing if I heard this because I've, I've read every productivity and time management book and often felt like they were, I mean, there were a lot of really smart systems out there and philosophies, but for me, at least when I applied those, I usually just ended up feeling guilty. I was like, I'm not doing that thing. And I'm still like, just as overwhelmed by everything that's going on. So the, the simple before and after, I guess would be that before I used to judge my success at, let's just talk about work, my success at work based on how productive I was. So how well was I kind of getting done all the things that I needed to get done? And I would every day, I mean, like working at Google, like the the amount of email you receive is just astonishing, right? So I'd like coming to work and actually maybe it's not so astonishing. I don't know. But at least when I first went there, I couldn't believe how much stuff happened on email. So I might come to work in the morning and have hundreds of emails to deal with. And then I felt like if I dealt through, if I processed all of that email by the end of the day and got back to zero, that was like, I'm on top of my email. And if everybody who puts a calendar request on my calendar, if I can go to those meetings and help everybody with what they have going on, then like, I'm on top, you know, I'm helping everyone on the team and that's really good. And if I'm kind of processing through all of the to-do lists, all the items on my to-do list and I'm on top of my to-do list, like if I'm doing all those things, then I'm being really productive. So that's kind of the before. And the after is 
you know, I still have to deal with emails. You still have to have to have, you know, to have meet with people. Those things don't go away. You can't, you can't zero those out. But the after is to start with what is most important to me each day before I do anything else to figure out what is the, the one thing that at the end of the day, when I look back on today, I want to say is like the highlight of my day. And sometimes it might be spending time with my kids. Sometimes it might be, there's this big sizable chunk of this project that I want to do today. But I'm going to start with that thing. And I'm basically just going to put me first on the schedule. And I'm going to do whatever I have to do to clear that out. If it means like I'm not checking my email until after that that work is done, then I do that. If it means I'm going to have to push some meetings around or say no or cancel something, that's what's going to have to get done. But that thing always comes first. And it means that the chances of it getting done are like, they're like 95%. They're not 100%. Things happen, things come up. But that's really the shift for me has been from trying to be productive and trying to get as much checked off as possible to trying to be really purposeful and to look for a way to do larger things, not just tasks. Oh, okay. That's cool. So, so you're saying now how you determine whether or not you had a success that day is whether you did the key thing that you identified as opposed to whether you did everything. Yeah, absolutely. And kind of, I guess we... We're pulled in two directions in the modern world. You know, if you if you if you have a an office job, especially, but I think it's very hard to escape because technology and email and messaging is so much a part of all of our lives. So, so we we talk about this in the book about being pulled between, on the one hand, what we call the busy bandwagon, which is like this expectation of instant response, this expectation of speed, this this sort of cultural norm that we have in the United States of we're going to fill your calendar as as close to full as possible uh-huh. and I somebody asked, graphic in the book <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah right. it's just like busy yeah it's just like every single moment is busy and sometimes it's like three things at the same time overlapping right and i mean i feel like that's that is actually quite widespread this notion of like being packed and if somebody asks me at work or in my personal life like how are you this expectation that if i say busy that like that's a good thing that i'm like oh man it's crazy crazy, crazy busy that people will say, oh yeah, yeah, good. You know, like, like that's, it's, it's sort of insane. So on one hand, you've got that pull of like, okay, just a fire hose of stuff coming at you. You respond to it as fast as you can go to everything you can, like work as much as you can. On the other hand, like you get exhausted from that. And then on the other hand, we're pulled by what we call the infinity pools, which is like all of this entertainment or distraction, which is available like at our fingertips at all times and is incredibly compelling. And there's always something new. So on my phone or on my laptop or whatever, like the nonstop breaking news, the social feeds, you know, all of the updates from my friends, all these cool things. There could always be something new. Uh, my personal email is, is like this, right? So like there's always could be something new on there. And so these things are kind of pulling back and forth. You know, Netflix, like all these things are just kind of like pulling you in the other direction. And once you're too exhausted from the busy bandwagon, the infinity pools pull you back. And so yeah, that's a great point. It's like yeah. now I'm so exhausted, but I want to sort of be entertained and rejuvenated, but I don't want to like go hiking because that's too hard. But so maybe something fun will be in on the news or Netflix. <laughs> yeah, totally, totally. And it's I mean, you know, and it's just it's not our fault that we don't have the time for the things that matter the most to us. We're stuck in the middle between two really powerful forces so that, you know, the fundamental idea that we have is, uh, and this thing that we observed, especially from getting the chance to work with a lot of different teams. So we worked with probably like 150 different companies. And we would have the chance to say what they were doing all day for, at work, you know, for a week and to experiment with it. And it turns out like you change a few of those defaults, uh, the default settings, the default work cultural settings, and you start to open up time and attention. Because things are so crazy right now, you actually don't have to make the largest changes to have a, a really significant impact. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that's, that's a nice optimistic view. It's like, it is <laughs> yeah. so screwed up. It's so bad it, you do just yeah. a little bit. You're going to see huge gains. Yeah. yeah. Well, it's, it's true. It's true. But for example, one of the things that we talk about in the book is the importance of building energy. And, and this, this is just a simple observation. If you want to focus on something every day, if you want to have 60 to 90 minutes of time where you're really focusing on something, you know, you're, you're in the zone, you're going to need energy, physical energy, mental energy, you got to have like a full battery to do that. We're all sort of basically the same kind of creature we were 200,000 years ago. And we're in this modern world, you know, everything is is totally different. It's not we don't live in caves anymore. We don't live in the wild. We're, we're in homes and, and, you know, we've got screens everywhere. And so things are really out of whack. 
But if you want more energy, one simple change you can do is to start dimming the lights and dimming your screens in the evening time and to not look at screens after, say, you know, 8 p.m. And you can start actually like turning down the lights in the house to make it more like what happens if you're not living in a house, which is the sunsets. And maybe there's a fire. You know, this is kind of the environment we grew up in or sorry, not grew up in, but evolved in. And I, which I guess is the same as growing up. <laughs> as a but, species. Um, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but you, I mean, but otherwise the default is there's blue light or bright white light shining on us until we're so exhausted. We're like lying in bed with our heads spinning, you know, trying to fall asleep. You make that little shift and that makes like a huge difference. And there, those opportunities are like everywhere. Like those little things where stuff is so out of whack and you make a little shift it can make a huge difference. Oh, I, I dig that a lot. I love the way your book is organized. So, so you just gave us one one great tactic when it comes to the energizing. And because you've got sort of four steps and then underneath them, I don't know what you might call clusters. And then underneath those, 80 tactics. And so that uh, it was really kind of fun. So you could sort of just jump into whatever catches your attention or so, or go deep into, oh yeah, I need to know everything about, about this. So could you maybe give us kind of the, the overview picture of what are the four steps and then maybe your sort of like super top favorite tactic that you have in each of them. I know you've got 80 to choose from, but if you yeah, start yeah, with try. four, then I'll maybe we'll go best. a little more. Yeah. 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 So it all, it all starts off with that idea of, of setting a highlight. And so again, it's, it's starting off in, in the morning or perhaps for some people they do it the night before my co-author John does it the night before, but it, it's, it's looking at the day ahead and saying, okay, when this day is over, let's say somebody says, oh, hey, Jake, what was the highlight of your day today? Like, I, I should design that. Like, I should in advance figure that out so that I make it happen. I make it as good as possible. I, I find that actually it's pretty easy for people to get into the, the zone where they, they can just make a gut decision about what this highlight is. But at first, it's kind of assessing like, okay, is there something that's, that's really important to me? Maybe it's not urgent. Maybe there's nobody like begging for it, but it's this, it's this project at work. Perhaps it's like, really, I know it's important and, and I know it could easily get like kind of pushed aside. So maybe it's something from work or maybe it's something that's just going to bring me joy. Like I want to spend time with, um, with somebody I really care about, or maybe it's going to be something really satisfying, like making progress on a hobby, whatever it is, it's, it's picking that thing that's going to be probably 60 to 90 minutes long. So it's not a task, right? It's like more than a task. It's it's not a whole big giant goal, but it's in between. And it's figuring what that thing is and writing it down. So today, like this is going to be my highlight. So highlight, that's step one. Step two is... If I may, as we dig that for a smidge. So I I like the way how you distinguish that. It's not a task. It's not a goal. It's in between. It's 60 to 90-ish minutes. You know, something that can be done within a a chunk o attention or, or one sitting or standing i think we're both on standing desks right yeah. now which is so kudos i feel i feel like you feel cool if the if the productivity guru <laughs> thinks it's a smart move i love my mat too the the, the topo the mat is, oh the mat is oh, huge yeah. oh me too is it the, yeah, the oh, topo yeah. by ergo yes, yes it what is. are the yes. odds oh, i did not yeah. see your mat earlier yeah. well yeah look at us I a couple of dorks <laughs> Yeah, yeah, Dork City here, but yeah, yeah. Well, no, it's fun. You can kind of, it's like a playing a little bit with, uh, someone said it's like a playground for your feet. And, um, yeah, right. I, I think so. Yeah. So highlight was where we, we were discussing, but when it comes to the highlight, so it's more than a task, it's less than a goal. It's 60 to 90 minutes. And, and I want to get your view on, boy, there's many, many ways that you might land upon what to highlight. Uh, what are some of your, your favorite, I don't know, provocative questions or, or criteria or guideline to say, ah, you know, of the thousands of things that you might choose, here are some indicators that uh, it, it might really be worth a highlight. I think that one of the best ones, and if you're starting off trying out this, this make time framework, this is a really good one because it yields like immediate results. And it's usually pretty easy to answer. It's like, what would be the thing that if at the end of the day, I didn't do it. I would be like, so like pissed off at myself, you know, like, like I think like, Pain well, avoidance. I, yes, I know I experience this a lot. I feel like a lot of people experience this. And I hear people talk about this a lot. It's like, I can't believe that, that like, I knew that I, this was the thing that I really needed to work on. And yet I was just like reacting to other stuff all day long. Like, how did that happen? You know, and I'm kicking myself now. Like I, and so that's really, that's like the, probably the easiest one to the easiest way to find the highlight is like, what will you is regret avoidance and hey, you know, like there's a lot more positive ways to do it, but yeah, it's that it's sort of like, what would I, what would be just like such a bummer if I didn't actually do it? 
Oh, I love that so much. And often I sort of feel that the pain of that sort of like the next day or week, it's like, oh my gosh, I'm in this crazy rush. I'm so unprepared. I feel real dumb. I, why did I handle this, you know, yesterday or whenever I, I should have? And so, so yeah, sometimes the regret comes at the end of the day, like, oh, bummer of a day. And other times it comes later when you're, you're reaping what you've sown. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And then, you know, I mean, the, the flip side, the flip question is like, what might create like a really nice memory for the day? Like, if I can like imagine like the memory, like the, and I think for people who keep like a gratitude journal or have ever done that, I mean, I think it's, it's hard to keep any kind of a journal consistently, at least that's my experience. But if you've ever done that, and you ever like think about writing down at the end of the day, something that you're grateful for there, it often it has this nice effect of evoking these little snapshots. It's like, Oh, that was really, that was really lovely when I took a walk in the park or when I was, you know, when I was, when I was focused quietly and I was practicing music or whatever. And well, I guess it wouldn't be quiet if you're practicing music, but I was focused and I was practicing music. And I think those snapshots, like what would be a really lovely snapshot for my day? That's another kind of provocative question that can help and often helps me. Thank you. Okay. So, so we talked about highlight and then what's laser. Okay. Laser is about, clearing out distraction, creating some space so that you can focus on that thing. And I think that this is this is maybe where the way we think about accomplishing these highlights, accomplishing these things you you really care about each day is different from uh, a lot of systems or a lot of the way people talk about this problem with distraction today, right? Because we, I mean, I feel like it's very rarely nowadays we talk to someone and say like, oh, like, how do you feel about your your iPhone, your Android, whatever, your smartphone? Very rarely will people say like, oh, yeah, everything's great about it. Like, people have mixed feelings about their phones. They feel like they're they're on their phone too much. I feel like there's a tremendous amount of guilt about phones, right? And like even Apple and Google are like, they're releasing software to help you or at least to measure that how much you're on your phone so you can presumably in the future feel even more guilty about it. <laughs> but our sort of take on this is... Yes, those things, those paths of least resistance will distract you and they will keep you, you know, they'll get in the way of doing that, that thing that, that really matters to you, that highlight. But when you know what the highlight is, like half of the, the battle is won when you actually have this thing that you're excited about doing. When you know that like you start to identify like, this is my priority, I'm putting me first. And like, if I can not be distracted for an hour, an hour and a half, like there's a great reward. So, so that's part of the thing that I think is different. The other thing is we'll say like, we have a lot of concrete tactics for shutting things off. So the whole deal with laser is you're going to shut off distraction. You're going to be completely offline. You're not going to be using anything that isn't mission critical to your highlight. And, uh, and by shutting that stuff down, this is another place where things are so out of whack. You can like create time. This is a place where you can like actually make time. So if I'm not constantly bouncing around between my email and Slack and like a million other things, but I'm just doing one thing, it's like there's more hours in the day all of a sudden. Um, if I'm not constantly checking my, my my Facebook feed or responding to things in that way, again, like I'm kind of creating time because I'm not I'm not sort of Swiss cheesing my my attention, and it it actually sort of like creates time out of nothing. Yeah, that's really cool. And so then. Is there a particular kind of time that you just snag on the calendar? Like th this is the window and do you aim for a particular window or vary it or what's the best way to play that game? Yeah. So, okay. So as I mentioned, I've been, I'll just tell you personally what I do. And I think everybody has to, we talk about this idea of designing your day. Everybody has to design their day in what makes sense for them. And we have some different patterns, different things that we do. For, uh, yeah, like I said, for the last couple of years uh, or last year and a half, I've, I've been self-employed. But before that, I worked for Google for 10 years. Before that, I was working at Microsoft for years and years. So um, I was very used to this idea of being at work all day. And sometimes, you know, in, in many jobs, you don't really control your time when you're at work. And I had this goal of writing books. And so I, I figured out many years ago while working at Google that if I wanted to make time for that, what I needed to do was reclaim some time at the end of the day. So after my kids went to bed, after everybody went to bed, I realized there's this window of time because I'm kind of a night owl when I'm actually usually like I'm awake, but I'm not getting anything out of that time because I'm just like my battery is drained, you know, and, and I'm, and I'm just distractible. I'm just watching, I'm watching TV or whatever. I'm just kind of winding down. Not that there's anything like horribly wrong with that, but I realized there's like a gold mine of time that I can sort of reclaim. So for me at that time, it was at the end of the day, that was highlight time. 
for my co-author, John, he created that time at the beginning of the day. For him, he was like, first thing, I'm going to do that before I do anything else. Often at work, it's the highlight time might be, it's, it's always easier earlier in the day before there are other commitments that have come up, before emails have come in. I think as soon as you open up your inbox, then all of a sudden, you know, you're in reaction mode. It's very hard to keep that that sort of nice, clear focus that we often have when we wake up. So the morning time tends to be better, usually before other things happen. But a lot of times it's a matter of what we call bulldozing the calendar, actually like pushing some things out of the way to make it whenever you can. Our sort of hypothesis is that you can do this at some point in your day, every day. It might be before anything starts, might be after everything's over, but a lot of times you can clear it in the middle. Okay, cool. So we did the highlighting, we did the lasering. You mentioned energizing. Let's hear a little more about that. Yes. Yeah, so with energize, it's like, okay, you've, you've got the, the target, which is your highlight, right? You've, you know where you, where you want to head today. You know what you want to happen. And the idea with laser is you've, we've got a lot of tactics for shutting down distraction so that you can, you can be, your mind can be clear and you can be ready to focus, kind of getting into the zone. Energize is all about having the the physical and mental energy to do the thing, to really bring your best attention to your work. And I think there is so much out there in the world about ways to be more physically active, ways to eat better, you know, ways to sleep better. And I think this new, certainly the last few years, a lot of stuff feels like it's like so intense. It's like, you know, like a lot of like really intense, like, it's like these supplements you should be taking or like, <laughs> it's just like a lot of, like, it feels really stressful. It's like really, it's like in, <laughs> in sort of the last few years as we were, as you know, John and I were really like into this topic and researching it a lot, you read this stuff and I just feel so like bad about myself because I'm like, God, I'm not, you know, I'm not doing anything. And so our kind of principle is like, look, if you just do a little, you get a huge amount of reward. Like just do a little, that's fine. And if your goal for getting more physical activity is that you want to improve your cardiovascular health or you want to live a few years longer. Those are wonderful things, but they're very abstract. They're very far away. If I want to get more physical activity because I like I want to like look better, like look like somebody in a magazine, like I'm, I'm realistically like I'm not going to get there, you know? Like it's it's so I think that a lot of those things are really disheartening. Our whole point is like if you will just build energy so that you get an immediate reward today of you had more focus, the thing that you really cared about, that you were really excited about, you got more out of it because you had more energy, you get an immediate reward for doing it. And in my experience, that that transformed the way I looked at exercise, the way I looked at eating, the way I looked at sleep, and uh, and even the way I looked at like talking with people, actually talk, talking with people face-to-face instead of over texts or emails or, or you know, whatever is like actually a way to to boost energy. We're, we're social creatures and we we get we get an energy boost from talking to people so a lot of those things if you have this immediate reward and you realize that you don't have to do something heroic you don't have to be training for a marathon or anything if you just get a little motion if you just change like a few small things about the way maybe you maybe you have coffee for example most people drink coffee there's little tweaks you can make to that to boost your energy and then when you have this immediate reward loop it's a game changer so so i'm what i'm hearing is the key to really getting this energy thing flowing is is not so much doing a long-term program of supplementation that will, you know, mold your biochemistry into something else over the course of three months, but but rather finding the things that give you more energy that very day. Yeah. And I mean, you know, I don't want to say that there's a lot of folks who are experts in the body and experts in what you can do with it and, and the kinds of things we all ought to be doing. I'm just not that person. All I can say mm-hmm. is if you really care about your time and you really care about the quality of, of your day and the quality of your experience and in the moment, energy matters. And the th- kinds of things you need to do to have high quality energy today are not crazy. You know, you don't have to start some new boot camp with a trainer. You don't have to spend a lot of money. You don't, you don't have to do crazy things. There's small little things. Uh, this kind of tactics we talk about in the book that, that can make a big difference. For example, like I, take the bus to, to work for years and years. If you find a way to get off the bus like a couple stops early and walk a little further, it actually like creates more energy throughout the day. That's not like, it doesn't sound like I'm really like exercising a lot, but just that little bit of extra walking will give me more of a, more energy throughout the day. Like a small thing like that. And so there's a lot of, a lot of little tactics and ideas about just tweaking the knobs on things to, to get a boost. Yeah, I, I resonate with that walking piece because my Fitbit tells me my my step count and and it's tricky, you know, working from home. Sometimes that step count yeah. is tiny. 
It's like, yeah. you know, we don't even crack the fourth digits. It's like <laughs> uh, 920 steps. Oh, wow. That's really <laughs> a bummer. And sure enough, I really do notice kind of the, the difference in terms of, of, of feeling just, you know, zesty, uh, alive, energized and raring to go. If, if there are days of, of tiny amounts of movement versus even moderate amounts of, of movement. And it's funny because I guess I think I used to have a little bit of this go big or go home, hardcore, yeah. Yeah. you know, you're like, that's not a workout. If there's not a weight totally. bench involved, <laughs> yeah. like, that's not a big enough dumbbell to mean anything. <laughs> and it's, it really doesn't seem to be the way our, our bodies work. Yeah. Right. I mean, we, we evolved for constant motion and you know, we were, it's part of being a hunter gatherer. You're moving around a lot and looking for food. Right. And, and that's, we, we thrive. Our brains perform better when we're moving. But this idea of go big or go home, I mean, you, you're, you're exactly right. That just totally mirrors my experience. We were talking about basketball earlier, and I, I mentioned this in the book. I was really into basketball, really, really into basketball. I mean, I'm six foot eight. There's like really no, no avoiding kidding. it. You've got to be. Yeah. Wow. I'm really, yeah. Freakishly tall. I could not tell and, from the video. <laughs> um, so, yeah. Yeah. Video takes off a few, <laughs> a few inches. So, so yeah. So, I, I mean, I, I loved playing basketball. And as I started my career, I would, you know, I'm, I'm playing in these gyms and leagues and things. And I, well, I love playing basketball when I'm playing. I can't, it's hard for me to stop. So I'll play to like the point of exhaustion and then would come back to work. So I might be playing at lunch, come back to work, just wiped, you know, just wiped out. And like yeah. every time with basketball, like almost inevitably going to get some kind of little injury, you know, whether it's like somebody cuts you with their nails, which is gross, but totally happens. And, um, or, you know, it's twisted ankle or like a, a, a elbow to the face, whatever it might be. And so I come and I'm just kind of a bit broken and like worn out and like, I can't do anything the rest of the day. So I'm actually like kind of sapping my energy and I can't like, I have to recover. And so it becomes this irregular workout and, and, you know, and then all of a sudden I might like not do it for months because it takes the threshold to get in there and play basketball. is like pretty high. And then I'm like overdoing it, right? So this whole cycle was like really busted. But for me, I was always like, well, that is exercise. It doesn't count unless I'm doing it. There's like this whole ego thing for me. And at, at you know, at some point I, I realized after doing that that I had I had like taken my son for a jog and he was a baby in the stroller the you know, like the day before. I get back to work exhausted from basketball and I'm like, God, I'm worked, I can't do anything. And then I somehow realized like the day before I did this little jog, which like didn't even count to me, it was just getting my son some fresh air, and I felt way better the whole day at work. I was like that that for me made the connection that I needed to do something small every day. And I started to just try, okay, I'm just going to, I'm going to change my, I'm going to change my parameters. The small everyday thing is great. It's fine. Like we don't have to be ultra marathoners. We don't have to be doing, doing anything heroic. We don't have to have eight pack abs. Like it's, it's all right. Uh, that's good. That's good. And I wonder any kind of guidance or, or threshold when it comes to that amount of motion that's, that's just right. Like not so trivial that it makes minimal difference and not so big that you're just wiped out from having done it. Any sense for what's what's just about right? Yeah, you know, I'm not a doctor, but I play one on TV. Now, I'm not a doctor, but I have I've seen a lot of uh you know, looked at a lot of studies, read a lot of books about it's all kinds of studies about the health effects of exercise. And I think one of the there's a book that is a really nice summarization of the effect of lots of things on the brain. It's a book called Brain Rules. And this was really like, this was also the thing that like, finally, when I saw it happening for myself and I had read this book, I believed it. Those two things together made it happen for me. And he says, you know, look, if you look across all the research, it's like 20 to 30 minutes gives you kind of the optimal. It's going to give you a, a mental boost. It's going to like give you most of the benefit that, that you'll get. Even if you work longer, work out longer, you're going to get most of the benefit. So in, in my mind, it's like if I can get 20 to 30 minutes a day, that's great. And I try to work it into the, the structure of my day. For example, a typical day for me now is take my younger son to school on the bus and run home. And that run happens to be about 25 minutes. And it's just perfect. Like that's, that's built into my day now. And it's, I'm never going to be running a marathon with, with that level of everyday exercise, but I have more energy and I feel sharper uh, mentally every day with that amount of exercise. But the other part of it is to not be down on yourself. If you can't get to 20, for some reason, you're feeling a little under the weather or there's just not quite enough time. If I even can get five or 10 minutes and, you know, if I could just take a walk, like anything helps. And a lot of times 
not having this super harsh threshold for yourself will mean that I get out the door and maybe 10 minutes turns into 20 minutes. You know, maybe it, it, once I've broken the ice, it actually goes longer. But 20 to 30 is, I think, a, a really nice guideline if you can build it in. Mm, I dig it. And and finally, at the re- reflect step is in there. Yeah. So this idea of reflect comes from, I think, from being steeped in in building technology products for so long. And we talk so much about having hypotheses about what might happen when we build a product and then and then launching it and trying to measure what happens. And so this idea of measuring and running experiments is really built into the culture at Google. I think in, a, in both in the way that we built products and in the way teams worked and the way individuals worked, this idea that we're going to run an experiment and we'll, we'll measure it. I mean, it's basic scientific method stuff. But the challenge, I think, with a lot of these systems people talk about, people like me talk about for doing things, or a lot of the studies that we hear about, a lot of the science that we hear about, is that it's it might be credible when I read about a scientific study, but I'm not going to really, really, really believe it until I know it's true for me. So knowing what's true for me in my life is the most powerful thing and having that experience of what happens in my life when I do this thing. So the idea with Reflect is that I'm going to, at the end of every day, I'm just going to take note of what I did during the day and see what worked and what didn't and, and kind of take note on that and, and like just start to frame this idea of what I choose to focus on. So the highlight part and this laser, like the, this idea of distraction as, as a thing that I can experiment on and this idea of building energy as a thing that I can experiment on. And once those things are framed as experiments, it also makes me be a lot gentler on myself. I'm not going to be as, as critical, self-critical. I'm going to realize that if I, if I faltered today, if I made a mistake, like, well, what can I try differently tomorrow that might make it work? And, you know, this is not something that you have to do for your whole life. You don't have to constantly every at the end of every day be filling out like a, you know, a form. But we think that if you start off doing this process in the first maybe week or two, you're f- answering a few questions and just taking a moment to reflect back on the day that you can pretty quickly tailor a system that makes sense for you. And that's so good. Well, one exercise that you did, Jake, which I found really intriguing because I've done a little bit of this is, is tracking your energy. And, and so first of all, there's how do you quantify that and how do you record it and, and how do you input it? I want to hear that side of things. And then I want to know what are some of the, the insights that, that emerged for you? Was it, was it worth doing? Yeah, it was worth doing. It was an extremely dorky activity. I have to, I mean, this is before the era of, of Fitbits. And yeah, nowadays you can measure your sleep with an app and like tuck your phone under the pillow. And like there's smartwatches and uh, there's so many things you can do. But this was, um, I, th- I suppose it was 2008, I, I want to say, uh, maybe 2009. And I just thought I don't feel like I have a handle on on my energy. I don't feel like I, I know where it's it's going. And so what I did was I kind of hacked together this system of things using um, a, a Google spreadsheet and a form that would you know I could answer a few questions on the form and it would put the answers into the spreadsheet and a calendar notification that would come up at a time when I knew I would typically be at my desk at work and and would prompt me to fill out what I called the pop the Jake pop quiz mm-hmm. and I would I would answer the questions and then it would go into this spreadsheet and and then you know over time I could go back and kind of look at that spreadsheet and see what was what was what and I didn't have a, there, there wasn't really a way that I could think of to accurately quantify my energy. So I just said, okay, I'll accept that it's going to be unscientific. I'm just going to score it on a scale of, I think, a one to 10. And, and I'll make notes about the things that I did. And I started as I, as I did this at first, it was just kind of what's my energy level. And then maybe like some open comments I would fill out for myself. And then over time, I started to realize, you know, I thought that that I had an idea about what some of the things were, the patterns that were giving me energy or taking energy away. And so I started to ask some specific questions about exercise and what I ate and, and how I slept. And I have to say that the conclusions, the sort of findings from this are, they were exceedingly impactful for me. But if I, if I I'll tell you what they were, but I'll tell you that they're going to sound obvious and and stupid but they were very powerful so one of them was if i exercise in the morning i have a lot of energy throughout the day i have more energy throughout the day as long as i don't overdo it so a small amount of exercise in the morning it makes me feel better all day long and more energized it's obvious right i mean this is not groundbreaking new york times front page news but but this 
this was this is a big deal for me. Well, and when you know, like you know, no, 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 it's true for you having seen exactly. it with yes, exactly, your own logs. Right? You're you're yes. now absolutely convicted, as opposed to oh, a study suggested, like you said earlier. Oh, a study suggested that this is good. Like okay, yeah, well, maybe I'll give that a shot. It's a very different level of oomph internally. Yes, it, totally. And you know, my like my usual experience of reading a, a study about health is to be like, oh, interesting, and then also feel bad about myself. Like, that's the path, mental pattern. I mean, I guess it was like neurotic, but I like read about it and be like, oh, that's interesting. And like, oh, man, like I, I should really do that. Like, but I, but I should really do that. Like, it just doesn't happen. Like, and it just, it just makes, I just don't feel good. So this was like, oh yeah, when I do that thing, like when this happens, I don't know, it was just a much more concrete way to introduce that idea to my, into my head. So I, it was something I knew already, but, but I started to believe it. And that, you know, another thing was, yeah, don't eat like a really sugary dessert after lunch like that that may, that kind of kills my craters my energy i have a sugar crash pretty obvious like, i don't think i don't think anyone would be like wow i can't imagine that um that having like a sugary dessert after lunch would make you not feel good but lo and behold that was that was really useful for me to to kind of hone in on and so it was it was insights like that they're things that are are really obvious but what i started to i guess dawn on me is that it's like a little tiny shift as I shift these things just like a little bit and I see every day as an experiment rather than like a judgment on my character. It's a whole new ballgame. Like it's a whole new ballgame and focusing in on my energy and on the things that I could do with my energy. Because when you have energy, like I'm happy and I can kind of work on the things I want to work on. And I, you know, I can, I can be more present with the people who I'm with. Like all these good things flow from that. Again, it makes this like instant, like positive feedback loop. I'm getting good results right away. I don't have to wait months and years for this like health habit to pay off. That's awesome. Well, we could talk at length about uh, 80-ish tactics. So maybe I'll just yeah. hit the one that you mentioned earlier. What's the thing you can do with your coffee, your caffeine for a better energy productivity? The, the number one thing that you can do is to figure out what your cutoff time is. And this is, I know that this is true and I know that it does not sound very thrillingly uh, new and, and fresh, but um, if you talk to doctors, I mean, it's just like talk to, like, if, you, if you know a doctor and you talk to a, a, a general health doctor, you say like, what's like, one of the number one things people come to you for, and like a lot of doctors will tell you, I have a friend, a couple friends for doctors who both say, like, yeah, like the number one thing people often struggle with is sleeping. Like they're just, they have a hard time falling asleep. And so a lot of people come to the doctor for that and you say, okay, well, so what happens when somebody comes to you because they're having a hard time sleeping? I say, well, ask them, like, when's the last caffeine that you have during the day? And the answer is often either that they, they don't actually know when it is or they know when it is, but they say, but it's not that, you know, it's not <laughs> caffeine. And it doesn't affect me that way. It doesn't. Yeah, it doesn't, yeah, that's, it's fine. And the, the truth is that caffeine affects everyone differently. It does affect everyone differently. So it might not be that, but there's a good chance it is because caffeine stays in the bloodstream a lot longer than we, than we think. So, I mean, well, doctors and scientists know how long it stays in it, but like, I don't know. I don't consciously think about how long it, it, it stays in the, in the bloodstream. So, you know, like four hours, the way you metabolize it, it varies by person, but typically like even like four hours after you've had the, the caffeine or like, you know, the half-life is, is really long. So you often, you might have coffee at four and then be going to bed and you still have a lot of caffeine in the bloodstream. And the caffeine is blocking the thing that makes us groggy. So there's this little, this little like molecule that's supposed to bind to the receptors to tell us that it's time to go to sleep. And the caffeine's still there. Like it's going to mess with your sleep. And then this creates obviously this compounding effect. You have a hard time sleeping one night, you have lower energy the next night, you need more caffeine and it's problematic. And so that's, that's a big one. But really like, I guess the, the bigger thing is just if you identify caffeine as, because most of us consume caffeine in one form or another, if you, and which means we're addicted to it, you know, most of us are addicted to caffeine. And, and so you don't have to stop drinking caffeine, but if you're aware that this is this really powerful effect on your energy this this drug that we're putting in our system has this really powerful effect on your energy and i'm a i'm a coffee drinker myself but if you know what it's doing and how it works and then you can design the way you use it so that it you have your peak energy when you want it you're not drinking caffeine when you're not going to be really getting a benefit from it or actually harming your energy level it makes a huge difference and so, is there maybe a, a starter a rule of thumb you might try yeah, out starter pack, yeah the starter pack for it is to wait in the morning until like maybe 9 30 to have your first cup of coffee because when we wake up we have cortisol that kind of will naturally it's a stress hormone which is naturally 
higher in the morning. It's going to kind of rouse your body up and wake you up. It's kind of like how our body naturally wakes up. And so if you have caffeine then, like while the cortisol is ramping up, it's kind of wasted. And you're getting this, this, uh, the lift from the caffeine is it was you were going to get it anyway from your body, but what happens is if you have coffee first thing in the morning, your your body comes to a, be accustomed to that, and it's going to produce more of the drowsy causing <laughs> molecules, so that you're going to you're going to feel drowsy, you're going to feel groggy, or you're going to have more sort of withdrawal symptoms in the morning, and you're going to need the coffee just to like fight the withdrawal symptoms. So it's kind of wasted. It's basically I think of that first coffee in the in the morning as being really wasted. So in, unless if you really enjoy that, you know, if you get some satisfaction out of it as a ritual, that's fine. But you should know that like you're kind of causing yourself trouble for maybe for nothing. So 9.30 a.m. is like the range of like the first cup of coffee. And then um, I think for most people, it's smart to maybe start with like 2 to 2.30 p.m. as like the last cup and then see what happens if you, you know, some people can go a little later than that. But but I usually think of that as like the coffee window. And I think one of the key things is having coffee before you you crash. So before you get tired, once you're already tired, this is like a really big deal. So I have a, a friend who's way into coffee and he's basically read like every study. He's started a couple coffee companies. He's like bought beans in Central America. This guy's just like way, way into coffee. And, and he sort of informed me about all this stuff. And he's like, the biggest deal is like, you got to know that if you're already tired, it's like kind of too late for the coffee to do its thing. Like by the time you're already tired all of the those receptors have like already the the groggy thing has already bound to the receptor thing and the coffee which the caffeine which would normally get in there and kind of block it from binding it doesn't have a place to go so that's a that's another kind of big key caffeinate before you crash and start a little later than you think and end a little sooner okay thank you well tell me jake anything else you want to make sure to mention before we shift gears and hear about some of your favorite things yeah i think that the the biggest thing kind of in summary to to consider if you if you were to consider taking a look at at my book i think the biggest idea is like a small shift can make a big difference and it, our time is really important it's all we have at the end like all we have is our time and all we have is our attention you know that is what our life is made up of time and attention and if a day goes by when we're constantly distracted we sort of lose that day if you're willing to try a few experiments i think that you can get more out of each day and it doesn't have to be a huge dramatic life shift. It's really small things that can, that can change the, the balance of the way those moments are experienced. Awesome. Well, now could you share with us a favorite quote? So that you find inspiring. There's more to life than increasing its speed. And it's a quote from Gandhi. Oh, cool. Thank you. And how about a favorite study or experiment or a bit of research? There's a study from Berkeley, and I can't remember the author's name at the, at the moment, but um, it's basically like when you interrupt someone, it takes them on average 23 minutes to get back to the task that they were working on, which is just astounding. Like 23 minutes. That's so long. It's so, I mean, it's like a, that's like a significant part of the day. It takes 23 minutes to get back to the thing. I think it's it's actually, it's like this this wonderful number that seems both astonishing and also extremely true at the same time. And so I love that one. Oh, thank you. And how about a favorite book? My favorite book, one that really sort of changed my view on things is uh, this book called Made to Stick by Chip and Dan Heath. The one that I think I would really recommend is this newer book by the same authors, these brothers, uh, Chip and Dan Heath, called The Power of Moments. And how about a favorite tool? One of my favorite tools is something called the time timer. So it's a, it's, it's like an alarm, uh, a timer basically with a, with a big face, but it's got a dial. You can turn the clock dial and you see this big red disc come out that shows you how much time there is. And then once you let go, the red disc starts to disappear. And at the end it beeps. It's very simple actually, but it is brilliant because it makes time, the passage of time visible in a way that no other thing I've seen can accomplish. And it's a physical object. It's not something on screen. And there's something about a physical object sitting on my desk, how powerful that is, or sitting on the on the conference table in a meeting room. It's just an incredibly powerful tool for making the passage of time visible. And it creates, I think, a wonderfully positive sense of urgency. Okay, whoa. So I pulled up a picture. So it's kind of like a pie chart that yeah, pie chart is a great word. Yeah, pie chart is a that's an excellent descriptor. Uh, yeah, so it's shrinking. It's it's just a constantly shrinking. And how about a favorite habit? I think that probably the, the one that's been the most powerful for me is is exercising in the morning before I do anything else. And is there a particular nugget you share that really seems to connect and, and resonate with readers in particular? I think that the idea of deleting 
everything, all the apps on your phone, but keeping the smartphone is something that has, has been a surprisingly sticky and powerful idea. I think that we're so used to the idea that we should get as much as we can really get our money's worth out of, out of new technology, that the idea that you would really selectively like cut off a lot of the potential functionality of an amazing device like a smartphone. And that like, if you just have half of that, what it can do or a third of what it can do, it's, it's not only just as good, it's actually better to make it distraction free. So I highly recommend experimenting with deleting the thing that you think is the most distracting on your phone. And if possible, everything that has infinite content, taking email off of your phone is unbelievably life-changing for me. And if folks want to learn more, get in touch, where would you point them? You can check out jakenap.com just if you want to find out more about me. But if you want to skip me and get straight to the book, it's on maketimebook.com. All right. And do you have a final challenge or call to action for folks seeking to be awesome at their jobs? Yeah, I would say if you can make a identify what the most important project to you at work is right now and think about what's something that's going to take 60 to 90 minutes on that most important project, not a task, because sometimes a task is so small that it's just not meaningful and it's easier to push aside. But dig a little bit deeper and find that that larger chunk of time that's going to be 60 to 90 minutes and then put it on the calendar and make an agreement with yourself that during that 60 to 90 minutes, you're going to turn off your Wi-Fi. You're going to put your phone on airplane mode. You're going to go totally offline and just do that thing for 60 to 90 minutes and see how it feels. And I, I predict that you're going to feel more awesome afterwards. Mm, lovely. Well, feeling more awesome is what we do here. So, so thank you, Jake. <laughs> this has been a lot of fun. And, and so is your book, Make Time. I wish you with the book all the luck and success. I hope that you are transforming lots and lots of people's experience of, of time and work and life goodness. Thanks so much, Pete. And really appreciate you having me on. I love what Jake had to say about the highlight in terms of thinking about that chunk of time. It's not so much a task, but it's a little bit bigger than that. And that's what's going to make the day a success. And, and I found that when I get tempted to start looking at my email, I think, no, 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 first, I'm going to write down the highlight. And then I get a sense for, okay, well, is the email more urgently important than what I put down as the highlight? And almost never is it. And so I proceed as planned. That's how I roll with it. So I hope you dug that more. Again, the show notes, the transcript, et cetera. It's at awesomeatyourjob.com slash F350. And I hope to catch you next time. Peace. Thanks for joining us for today's episode. To get the most out of this conversation, visit awesomeatyourjob.com to find today's show notes, transcript, and infographic summary cheat sheet. For more entertaining professional skill sharpening, be sure to subscribe to catch the next episode of How to Be Awesome at Your Job.